This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people involved in the adoption process, with each episode hosted by recognisable voices sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, my name's Pandora and I am your guest host for this episode. A little bit about me, I've been in and out of the foster care system literally from the moment that I was born and I have a very special guest joining me today who's a guy called Johnny and he has such an incredible story of his journey through early permanence and concurrent planning. I want him to tell you all about that because I think that he is someone who has got grade A experience of it. So Johnny, how you doing? I'm good. Lovely to meet you. Really nice to meet you, by the way. I am very excited to have a chat. I have been through your story and I just find it very like heartwarming and inspiring. And I think it's really helpful, actually, for people who want to go through early permanence and concurrent planning. So first of all, what is it? How would you explain it to people who are interested in it? Early permanence, there's two routes within it. One is concurrent planning, which is what we have done, which is where adopters are also approved as foster carers. So you would foster a child once the child's been taken into care. And really the purpose behind it, the primary plan is that the child will be able to be reunified with the birth family. That's the primary hope. But whilst that is happening, there is also this secondary plan which would be adoption so rather than the child move from foster care before being adopted by different people it would minimize the number of times that the child moves so that's the type of early permanence that we did the other one is fostering for adoption where you're kind of a short-term foster care for a specific child if that makes sense and what was it that stuck with you about this this path with concurrent planning why did you choose to do that There was a few reasons, I think. One of them definitely was, I think we were quite sold on the value of it to the child, to the birth family and to the adopters as well. I think particularly because with current planning, it is usually quite young children as well. And those first 12 months of a child's life are so important for development. So trying Mm -hmm. to help ensure that they have the best possible start in life is really appealing to us as well. My wife and I both quite have uh, fostering is quite close to our heart. I had a foster brother growing up and my family foster as well. So the foster caring side of things is really interesting, interesting to us, if that's the right word. And I think playing any kind of supportive role in you know, potential reunification back to the birth family, uh, whilst that would be devastating for anyone going through the concurrent planning, I think there was something around what role could we play? Even if that happens, you know, you've played this important role in that child's life, I think was really important to us too. And I think knowing that if we did move on to adoption, the concurrent planning, I'm sure we'll get to it. And you have regular contact with the birth family throughout that process as well. So I think that that is a really, really helpful thing for a child's life story in terms of understanding where they have come from, understanding that you as adopters have had that relationship with the birth family as well. So that was really appealing to us. So it's hard to nail down one specific thing, but I think all of those things combined were really appealing to us. Okay. And how long have you been foster parents for? So a daughter, Elle, came to live with us when she was just a few days old and concurrent planning you ideally you would foster for around six months because that's how long the care proceedings would take 
that would be assuming that if if it does go on to adoption, it would take that long. If the child is reunified home, it could end earlier. So you'd you'd be foster carers up until the point when the judge makes what's called a placement order, which is a decision has been made that this child should be. Uh, place for adoption then you go through some formal steps of mainstream adoption process where you're matched with a child you still go through this matching process even though the child is living with you and then you become adopters so there is this moment where you move from being foster carers to adopters so for us it went on for quite a while i think it was around 10 months nine or 10 months but we were foster carers before then moving on to adopters and who's in your life right now so there's me and my wife who've done this journey together and yeah, the little girl who was placed with us is our only daughter and she is about a year and a half old now. It's been a roller coaster of a uh, <laughs> the first couple of years. Tell me about like almost it's, a, it's like the moment when you when you meet a child for the very first time. It's a very special connection that you have, right? It is. And I think it was a really interesting journey because when you go through all the training and the training can take a while, I think it's around six six to eight months of training can take. We did the training through COVID, which can kind of delay things a little bit as yeah. well. You are told that the dream scenario, I think what's concurrent planning is that you will, you will get a phone call from your social worker mm-hmm. and they will say, we have a potential placement for you and they will tell you all the information that they know, which might vary how much they know about the birth family and the child. And they might say, this child is due to be born in you know, a month or two or three weeks. You've got time to think about it, time to consider, time to prepare. But they did joke throughout the training process that, you know, but sometimes you're on your way home from being approved as a doctor and you get a phone call, you've got to go to the hospital now. But that never happens. Everybody laughs. It's like a bonding moment, I think, in a training. My wife and I, we worked together and we were coming back from Glasgow on a train. We were about an hour away from home and we got a phone call whilst we were waiting for our connecting train. So we were in the train station in this really quite grim cafe where you never want to be, but you're just waiting for your train. And our social worker called yeah. and, you know, this, this is going to be it because there'd be no other reason to call us at this stage. And they said, yep, there's a little baby girl in the hospital she's a few days old she needs to be placed like right now you've got an hour to decide here's everything that we know I'm trying to repeat back parrot back as much as I can on the phone call so my wife can hear as much as she can she can't put on speakerphone because you're in a public setting and I remember writing on her pad of paper she had in big letters we need to cancel all of our work meetings for the next years because this is this is going to happen and I, there was a really telling moment for me where our social worker who's wonderful told us the information and said would you like to know her name and uh, I remember thinking that's a weird thing to ask if that wouldn't sway it you know it wouldn't I don't think the name would be the thing that would actually have that much of an impact so yeah, I said yes sure tell us the name and she said the name I repeated the name out loud for my wife and we both started crying straight away. And this is probably one of the first times I've told that story, not cried remembering it. And we you know, hung up the phone, we had a really quick conversation, but we both knew that this was a yes. And then a mad panic to get home and buy nappies and some newborn clothes. I think we looked quite manic at Tesco, filling a trolley with all these essentials. Like, why are these parents not prepared better? And getting home and then, yeah, the social worker at local authority brought her around in a car seat, popped mm-hmm. her on the floor in front of us. She didn't even sit down. She told us a little bit more that we maybe didn't know, told us how contacts might work. And all the time, you know, me and wife are staring at this tiny tiny perfect thing on the floor and um 
thinking, is it, is it okay if we pick her up? <laughs> is that okay? And then she, at one point, the social worker said, you know, you need to take her, that's our car seat. <laughs> so I picked up and she left. And it was a really fast-paced thing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't quite describe it. <laughs> Yeah, you because you were so wrapped up in that moment and it's probably something that you have been waiting for for so long and then all of a sudden, bam, it's happening. I mean, this is something that changes your life. It's It really is an incredible thing that you're doing, by the way. Obviously, I've said that, you know, from being uh, fostered, what you do is you are shaping people's uh, and young children's futures. It's such an amazing thing that foster carers and adoptive parents do. So thank you for that, by the way. I just want to touch on what you said about your child obviously going to see birth parents as well, because that's quite a big thing. And that's through concurrent planning. Is that right? I think the the plan for most adoptions is that there will be some level of contact, right? And I think usually that would be an indirect contact where once a year you may write a letter or depending on the age of the child, the child might write a letter. There's this letterbox service and the birth family can do it. And yeah. there's an intermediary who, who will take those letters and make sure they go to the right people, right? With concurrent planning, rightly so the birth family has all manners of rights and essentially what's happening is a decision has been made by the judge that this child should be taken into care whilst we assess can the child remain with the birth family so they are being assessed through this period by multiple means different types of things are happening so they also have right to contact during that and i think the contact is assessed as well and so we had Three days a week, we would take Elle to a contact centre. We'd drive there. The child that you are matched with has to be within a certain distance from you so that this contact is possible as well. I think that is maybe a distinction with concurrent planning. And yeah, you you go three times a week. That may extend to five days a week if the hope of reunification is looking positive and the, the length might increase. But for us, it was an hour. And that was really surreal, to be honest. We'd volunteered at a contact centre before, so we kind of understood how it worked. But, you know, being in it is very different. And it's this yeah. odd situation where you hand over the baby in the car seat and you will update the birth mum on how, how she's done, you know, what's what's happened over the last day or so. And then you'll leave and they'll have a supervised contact session. At the end, you'll collect and they'll hand the car seat back and they'll let you know how she's got on. I think we hyped up in our head a lot, I think, because a child is taken to care for a reason. Right? And for us, Elle was withdrawing from quite a lot of heavy substances when mm. she came to live with us. There was also some violence in the birth family. Never, I don't think I was ever children involved in that but the local social worker was quite concerned about safeguarding of the contacts so they delayed it a little bit while they, they got it set up so I think that really hyped up in our minds I think one of the great things about concurrent planning is that relationship that it almost forces between the carers and the birth family because you can read on paper what has happened and you will form all sorts of things in your mind about what these people what these people are like and prejudge them that's so true that you bring that up that because you do, you you would, you see everything written down and yeah. you make assumptions and you do prejudge. So it's actually quite important that you've actually said that by meeting people, you can have a whole different aspect on them. And I, I think we absolutely will have done that. And, you know, I think safeguarding things ramp that up even more. And then you, you arrive and, you know, this is a mum who's had a daughter taken off her and that's devastating right and she just wants to see her daughter and she was lovely with us I suppose there's a distinction between us and the social worker the social worker who had had safeguarding concerns will have had a much more fraught 
yeah. meeting because she's t- literally taken the child away, right? So we've not been involved in that. But they were lovely to us, thanked us for caring for her. And every time that we saw them, you know, they're very short interactions because they just want to see their daughter, right? So they're very short interactions, but they were always lovely. And they were going through a lot and had a lot um, to try and cope with, right? But I think that was a real value to us, seeing them getting to be able to tell a daughter those stories. She gets older, you know, that she's not just going to have the court documentation and the social worker reports, you know, which can make for really grim reading. She's going to have those personal stories from our interactions, which I think is so important. Yeah, no, it, it really is. And I think that it's almost in a way as well that it's important for everyone involved, if you can. And if that is, you know, a situation that can happen, having the birth parents involved, it's it can be quite an amazing thing as well. Did the training prepare you for this? In some practical ways, yes. In yeah. that we were told things like never arrive with the child strapped to you in a sling because that would be really difficult to see if you're the person, right? You're your baby in a sling with a stranger. So that that's a really helpful practical thing. And things like sometimes this happens where you'll be given a bag of clothes that they have. You know, make sure that you do dress the baby in those clothes and particularly for contact that they do get to see that you take into account those things they might have preferences for nappies particularly creams and wipes so those things did prepare us i think the two big things they weren't prepared for was the chaos that we experienced with how the contact center was run and i think we obviously we volunteered at contact center so that helped we also were partnered up with two other carers who were going through the same journey for us they were a few months ahead you're just foster carers at this stage there are certain rights that you don't have understandably they really help reinforce if you don't think it's safe you need to put your foot down because you're caring for that child right so at one point the plan was everybody just meet in the car park and hand the child over and the big risk was what if you arrive at the same time with the birth family and the supervisors aren't there there wasn't this kind of protection that needs to be in place for everybody's benefit so we had to kind of put that our foot down a little bit about making sure that the handover was safe but the bit that we don't think we were prepared for was you're told things that are true which are the the ideal scenario is that the child is able to be reunified with the parents, right? The birth family. That's the ideal scenario. The hope would be emotionally, intellectually, you buy into that, which I think we did. And we're told it's all about the child, which is true. And you're told you have to have as much empathy for the birth family, which is true. But there is also, the truth is, you, know, you go through this process because you want to adopt. That's that's what you do. Yeah. And your hope is that the child will come to live with you permanently because the second that they brought her around we loved her the second they put her down and I think if the next day the the very next morning they'd said actually she could be reunified I'm not sure it would have been any less devastated even though it would have only been you know eight hours or so so I don't, don't think what we were prepared for was this weird like duality of emotion of every time the birth family weren't able to attend, mm-hmm. which was regularly and eventually for us, they stopped contact because they just they stopped coming. The reasons why will have been incredibly understandable. They just weren't able to. They're not. They've got so many challenges. So I don't say that as any judgment of them not being able to show. But every time they don't show, there absolutely is a little bit of you that thinks that makes it more likely now that we'll adopt her. And then you feel awful because 
that means it's much more likely now that they won't get to keep her. And, you know, those two things of you want to adopt and you love this child, but also it's a really wonderful thing if a child is able to be safely reunified with their family, right? And that is devastating. And I don't think, I think just something as simple as telling um, people going through the process, you will feel that and it is okay to feel that is important. And it's great that you actually say that and you're so open and honest with it because it's a, it's a real emotion that, that, that you've had and many people will experience and then they'll feel the guilt. Like, as you said, like you'll feel guilty for feeling that. It's really nice of you to talk about that because what I want to get out of our conversation today is basically, you know, hopefully inspiring more and more people to to adopt and to foster through this way. Because when I was reading about your story, um, it was something that I hadn't heard of before. I didn't even know that this was a possibility. What do you think the advantages are of the early permanence route of caring for children, like both for child and for adoptive parents? What would you say, having gone through it comes from the US, and I think there's a researcher called Linda Katz, maybe it might have been the name. And I was at a conference recently where I saw some of her quotes, and I will no doubt massacre how well she said it. But it was something around that really struck me was it is about taking the risk and insecurity and trauma, as much of the trauma as you can, from the child, putting it on the adopters instead. With the understanding being, you know, every time a child is taken from one home and moved to another, regardless actually of what that home was like you know whether it is from a birth family where things will be tough if they're removed maybe that foster care is great but then they're moved to adopters right every time there's potential for trauma there right and also is this where I'm going to stay am I forming a positive attachment here or am I going to be moved again so for the child real value there in terms of helping their development that they're not having this trauma or risk of insecurity in their life which I think is really key it's one of the big drivers for us for the adopters there's obviously you have that risk you have that constant worry of even when like in our situation it became really clear I think after a certain point there wasn't really any chance of reunification right you still have this worry in your mind until the adoption order is done you have this fear you obviously have all the challenges of contact and contact i've spoken to concurrent carers where contact has been a really rewarding experience for everyone and they've had instances where the birth family when they're told actually this chat we're not going to recommend that the child is reunified they've said things like to to the carers if, if she had to go live with anyone, I'm glad it's you. Those are those kind of stories. Mm-hmm. So I think for the birth family, there is that knowledge of, even though I can't imagine how impossible that pain is to deal with of having your child taken from you, knowing where the child is in place seems to provide some degree of comfort and reassurance. Mm-hmm. For the adopters, she's a year and a half when the adoption order was made. I cannot imagine missing out on what we had right even with all of the risks and uncertainties and the challenges of contact being able to have been there for her when she was struggling with withdrawal in those first few weeks and being involved in her development and being uh, we were able to be those carers that if she was going to go back you know pl- knowing that we played that role I think it's a really challenging thing to do and I think if you're if you're a adoption agency trying to choose concurrent carers, concurrent planning carers, there is definitely I think a big part of it is can these people handle that? And a lot of the training kind of came down to how resilient are you? How would you handle the loss of a child being reunified? Right, so there's a real risk with it, but I think there's so much rewarding aspects to it. 
I mean, that's a really important bit to make, actually, because you do feel a loss. It's also with fostering as well. I think, you know, when you foster a child, you can be fostering for years before they get placed somewhere else. And that in itself, you are experiencing the loss of a child as well as, you know, what you could go through with the concurrent adoptive route. I think that it's something that experience can help. And sometimes training still doesn't prepare you for that moment when it's almost like giving a child up, isn't it? You know, when my mum died, I actually had two families that I went to live with. I was with the Hearns, who were an incredible family. Um, And then I was moved to the Hoyts. And it really, really, really hit the Hearn family a lot. And I didn't know this because I was such a young child. It just didn't occur to me. Like I didn't keep in touch. And I was obviously with a new family. And years, many, many, many years later, I got their number and I spoke to them and we were all in tears. And it was literally because they struggled and they've had adopted kids, they've fostered kids. And the, our connection was just so close. They've always said it was like the biggest regret of, of their life that they didn't adopt me. And it was heartbreaking to hear that because I then was with a new family. And it, it's heartbreaking to hear sometimes when when that happens. And, you know, especially when you're hearing people having regrets as well. But it's I think when it comes to fostering and adopting, you meet so many incredible people and they come into your life and you help them in so many different ways. And it's yeah, I think it's training and experience are two things that will definitely help you if you are looking into going this route, you know? Yeah, for sure. The respect that I have for foster carers is just enormous. I think that even though, you know, it was half of what we did, there is that hope and potential, I think, of adoption. It's such enormous respect for foster carers. I really don't know how they do it. If you was going to try and entice people who are thinking about it but haven't done anything about it yet, what would you say it's done to your life that would encourage more people to, to do it? So we've met so many people who were going through more mainstream adoption and -hmm. everyone's reasons were different, but all arrived at the same place. And I think there's a, there's an aspect of really careful consideration. You you see people who go through the early stages and then drop out quite quickly because they can, maybe it's this expectation that you're going to have this perfect storybook scenario right instead i think that when people come to understanding that children have been taken into care and there is all sorts of things that go with that right so for us with the concurrent planning what you don't have is the child remembering trauma because it's such a young child you don't have that to deal with but there are so many unknowns and obviously there's trauma that has gone on in neutro and other sorts so there is this understanding that it's not a storybook thing I think when you get to that stage of understanding what's involved in it you all end up at the same space and that maybe sounds quite rambling what I would advise is what adoption agencies have is they have lots of drop-in sessions for do you want to find out more and I really would encourage people to try that if adoption is something that you're thinking about and you know for foster carers it's the same thing right just just go and ask questions and find out more it's the most rewarding thing that we've done and we when my wife and I got together we both talked about children we we'd both always wanted to adopt it been the route that we'd wanted to go through the big thing for me that really really matters is I think you have to go into it with the empathy for the birth family, I think is the, is, is the really, really key bit. Because I think if you don't have that, I think everything becomes so much more difficult for you. 
There's a life story process, which is in terms of making sure that your child always knows that they're adopted. There's so many myths, I think, around adoption, which maybe aren't helped by the way that you see things happen on TV. It's a mystery. The child doesn't know that they're adopted and they find out in later life. You know, there is going to be some kind of contact. You're going to have to have these conversations with the child. There's this openness and honesty and all the challenges that's coming. It maybe sounds like I'm putting people people off but when you know that it's so rewarding it like really is really rewarding to play that role in her life even though we've only had only had her for a year and a half there have been all kinds of challenges but it has just been the best the best time and every step of it even those really challenging parts Mm -hmm. there's still something that was wonderful about it and I think the part that maybe isn't talked about enough is the birth family side of things Uh, which I think is so important. It's a devastating thing for someone to be have a child removed from them. And that has definitely happened because all manner of things have gone wrong. All manner of support systems weren't in place for those people. And it would be wonderful if as a society we could come together and proactively challenge these things before they occur. We had a a baby who needed to be taken, needed to go somewhere that night, you know, Twenty years of work that needed to be done to stop that, and we do need to start doing that. And I think understanding that and accepting those challenges is really, really key. And it's people like yourself and everybody else who does step in that is just doing such an amazing thing. You really are. Think of the the couple that you're you're obviously helping, the child that you're helping, and the people that you're inspiring as well. So it's almost like a chain of events. So, you know, I know I've said it before in here, but seriously, thank you for what you're doing and the fact that you've been so open and honest. And I think that we've got like a good now kind of like understanding of early permanence through concurrent planning and the, you know, the different routes that you can take and the importance of it and how it can actually be really, really helpful. Is there any advice that you would give to anyone that's considering like adoption through early permanence? And also what I was going to say to you was, did you find it easy enough to get information and to find out about fostering and adopting when you wanted to go through it? Did you, or did you find it quite difficult? It was quite difficult, I think, to get the information because I don't think it's talked about enough. A smaller number of placements occur through early permanence. To the extent, I think there's thousands of adoptions that happen a year. I think it's the low hundreds that happen through early permanence. So it's still a small thing. Not every adoption agency or local authority does it. So it's maybe why you don't hear about it. I think we found out about it, I think, because we were interested in adopting a young child, in part because of the, the difference that not knowing it was the term but that permanence when in the early stages how important it was so I think that's how we stumbled upon it I think the training was tough because a lot of the training sessions in the the very first stages you all bundled together with mainstream adopters so it wasn't early permanence training if that makes sense yeah we were the only ones in the group who were going the early permanence route and there were various stages where we would be told this bit doesn't apply to you and I think because probably the volume is quite low but when you get to stage two so once you've passed like the background checks you're assigned a social worker and then it's it's lots of one-to-ones I think you have like a one-to-one every week that was where there was real value and began to really understand what we were getting ourselves into if it's a route that you want to go down I think trying to find other people who have gone through the process would be really really helpful so you know to have those conversations like what contact is like so understand like the legalities of it in terms of there's, there's such a period where you're just foster carers and again I don't mean that in a derogatory about foster carers I mean that you are you are not that child's parent so there are certain things you may not be told by a local authority social worker such as how is the case going you know to try and gauge 
how long do you think you might be in the foster care stage? Is reunification yeah. looking like that? And there's some stuff you shouldn't know as well but you know you can you can feel a little bit in the dark so understanding more about the process about the various steps that happen in the proceedings it can often feel like oh another person shows up i didn't know there was a court appointed guardian and now there's a independent review officer that's a person who appears in your life and suddenly you get invited to all of these things that you didn't really know about so yeah speaking to other people who've been through the process which i'm sure adoption agencies would hook you up with groups join i'm sure would make all the difference i think because there's something about you, know, you talked about experience of foster care right if you wanted to be a foster carer i'm sure the training is really really good but i bet there's nothing like speaking with other foster carers who are doing it right yeah here's a question for you so you know when you said that you were going through your training you were the only couple that were actually doing the early permanence why do you think that is what was interesting is when they explained what early permanence was, because this is a time of COVID, so we're all on a team's call, you could see other other people's faces of shock when they're told, yeah, the child might go back, <laughs> might go back, you might never be adopters. Yeah. is yeah and because at this stage, I think this was this was stage one, it's called like a prep group where you have these four full days or four half days in a row and you have this cam- camaraderie, I guess, as, as a group of people. Mm-hmm. There is time for people to say, to change and say I want to do actually I want to do early permanence that, that's the thing there's so many risks and worries I think that can come along with adoption and for some people maybe you're finding out about them for the first time it's loads of loads of people we don't really know but we, we talked about the adoption route you know questions like what if the birth mom changes their mind mm-hmm. where there's this, where there's this idea that you know most adoptions is relinquished children where someone put their own child up for adoption which almost never happens right it's not that's not that situation so i still think there's so many myths around it so you already might be going into those groups and being shocked around wait there's the child's likely to have experienced domestic abuse or substance abuse or this or that all, all awful things you will hear yeah. that i think already like oh my god oh my god, oh my god and then being told and early parents who the child you'll you'll be foster cares at first and the child might go back you could see people faces change but i think it also just depends on on the couple right or on, or on the adoptive or the the foster parents what, what you want so it's all subjective isn't it because some people might be able to do that some people might not so i suppose it's almost like a journey where people will have to just kind of like find their feet they might not to begin with but then maybe halfway through their fostering years they decide actually this is maybe a route we want to go down now because they can understand sometimes the importance of it or the the different situations that might arise yeah i think so and i think there's something around how do you help people understand a bit more about it where i think that finding out about it in those prep groups you know in in a very quick conversation because it's just to explain why why johnny and his wife are in the room right uh it's maybe not the ideal the ideal way to find out about it i think if you if you're able to sit someone down and talk to them properly about it i think there's of course there are risks and there are challenges but there are risks and challenges with any adoption they're just different some of them are just different we're, we're friends with some people who we met in those prep groups and we chat we live in other parts of the country, but we're all getting together this summer actually with our children. Everyone's at a big place and, ha- and adoptions have gone through. Absolutely, those people would have been wonderful concurrent carers. It's not a case of you're only able to do one or you're only able to do another. They're just different, you know. And I think with, with the right training, it's a, it's a thing that I'd love to see grow because I think it's really, I do think it's really valuable. I would like to see a higher number of concurrent planning placements occur you know, with my limited experience and what I've read, it seems to be really valuable to the child, but I think to the birth family as well, it feels like a, a fairer 
approach, if that's the, yeah. if that's the correct word, for sure. I think them them having met us, yeah. I hope was in some small way helpful to them. So, what would you say are the like the main traits of prospective foster carers and adopters? Like, what, what should they have? Resilience is is definitely a big thing because there is the you know the what well, what I talked earlier about the challenges of contact in terms of you know feeling how you feel and how conflicted you can feel and and how guilty you can feel is is really really important. There are, there will be highs and lows. We had some moments where at first it was it was deemed as high risk to us that she would be reunified at one point because there was some question about why the family she might have and she you know she didn't have any family that she could she should be able to go to. So there's this emotional roller coaster of is it likely she'll stay? Is it likely she'll go back? It's, you can't really stress how difficult that is to deal with. Um, you know, and then obviously for for some people the child is reunified and the grief that you must feel I can't imagine, and you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going, right? I think going in with the understanding that that might be a very real thing that happens. How would you? How would you deal with that? Is really important, and I don't think they can train you for that. I think it's about them, them trying to suss out: could you handle it, right? And then the other one is absolutely that empathy, and this this would be applied to any adoption. Though is the empathy for. Mm-hmm for the birth family is just so enormously important. I think if you don't have that, I think if someone says to you, how do you feel about contact and talking to your child about adoption? If you feel, I wouldn't want to do that, I don't think it's for you. You know, if you feel a sense of, you know, weird moral otherness to the birth family yourselves, I think that's a real problem. No one is in that situation because they want to be in that situation, right? And we saw very clear evidence of how Elle's mum loved her. It's it's a shame for mainstream adoption that maybe you don't get to see that uh, as much. So I think for, for concurrent carers, I think it's much easier to to see those things because you, ha- you have to have that contact. That'd be your, your, your main two. And like a good understanding, maybe like communication as well, because like I think being in care affects children in so many different ways. Yeah. And for some, it can actually be a huge struggle to process what's going on. So I would say, even though I'm not a foster carer yet, but I do plan on fostering my own children, hopefully in a few years, actually. I think that, yeah, it's communication would be a massive key because talking and understanding how people are feeling, what people are going through and having that kind of relationship where everything is open with your child, I just think is so important. And and also foster carer to foster carer when you need help. Sometimes foster carers and, you know, adoptive parents, I think that they do need help from other people who are going through the same thing as you've said you know you're going to reach challenges and sometimes you're going to have highs sometimes you're going to have extreme lows and I just think yeah communication between foster care and foster care and adoptive parent adoptive parent is really important would, would you agree with that yeah I would and I think that's the thing that I thought if it maybe sound like a bit of a negative of the training was really well trained I think mm-hmm. they talked about therapeutic parenting and a pace model so how do you speak to I think for us with concurrent care where we were you know, really talking about babies being exposed to that training for people who adopted older children yeah. you know where they you know those conversations are going to start straight away right yeah. <laughs> we've got a bit more time because all she can say at the minute is yes yes and no she can say more but you know she's not able to have those those strong those strong conversations with us but yeah. pace is a really interesting thing for people to look into it's called pace pace playfulness acceptance curiosity and empathy i think those are the 
those are what the acronym stands for. It's a model of parenting that, you know, it's not just for adopters, but it's a really great way for how to gain the trust of of the child and yeah. how to kind of maybe help get past those defenses that will understandably have come up so you know if you're facing this situation this difficult challenge with communicating with them here's maybe a different way to tackle it and that that, that stuff i thought was really was really good for the training actually in terms of helping build those communication skills because you're right how important is that just enormously so yeah so important now you've you've given us actually quite a lot of, a lot of things i think those traits that you've picked out are all or what people should be looking out for. And if you do think that that does apply to you, I urge you to even just read or just go and look into fostering or adopting, whether it be through early permanence or concurrent planning. I think that it's it's something that you should definitely look into because there are like literally thousands of children waiting to be helped through this care. If I could plug something else I listen to, I know it's naughty to plug someone else's podcast on a different podcast. One of the most helpful things we listened to was a, I think it was a short podcast of a few episodes called Two Good Mums. In terms of helping understand the process, but also helping build an empathy with the birth family, yeah. it's fascinating because that is, it's a podcast run by two people who, one is the birth mum of a child and the other one is the mum who adopted that child and the relationship that they've built against all of the odds actually it's fascinating but I think if you if, if adoption is something you're thinking about mm-hmm. that is a really good thing to listen to because it is impossible to to get through that and not come away and be really struck and devastated by what things are like for the birth family I mean nothing could help you really understand it other than being in that situation right of course that I think would be a really valuable thing for people to listen to who are thinking about going through this journey. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and chatting today and being so open, honest, and thank you for inspiring other people because I think that you definitely will. From this conversation, I think that you've helped a lot of people as well and understanding of what concurrent planning as well, what that is and where to get the help from as well, like talking to other people, as you say, like all the information is there and speaking to fellow people that are going through the same thing. I think that, yeah, you've been a real inspiration, Johnny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story as well. It's been a, it's been great speaking with you. It really has to feel like, yeah, we definitely need to go and get coffee and a cake right now. Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. Listen out for more new episodes coming up. For more information and to take the first step towards growing your family, visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. PAC UK is the country's largest independent adoption support agency and works with all of those affected by adoption and other forms of permanent care to provide advice, support, specialist therapy and counselling. For more information, please visit www.pac-uk.org or call 020 7284 5879.